When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What's up? Thanks for pressing play on episode 24 of the LSQ podcast. Hi, it's me, Jenny LSQ. This episode features an interview with Twin Shadows George Lewis Jr. Great dude. We met up just recently at his place here in L.A. for a conversation about musical influences of his, including Boys to Men, singing on basketball courts late at night in Miami with his best friend Ricky, a girl at school who lent him a tape of Green Day's Doogie, and about reconnecting with the music he heard as a baby in the Dominican Republic before his family moved to the States. We also talk about reinvention and the value of making something you love kind of into a religion. Twin Shadow recently released a couple of new songs that explore his musical roots, only for the brokenhearted and the more recently released Truly, so look for those online. And he also recently announced a new album, a fifth studio LP, coming in late August. It'll be the first for his own label, Cherie Cherie, named after the suicide song, naturally. Later on in the episode, I have included an excerpt from an interview I did with Nick Jonas back in 2009, during a year when I somehow spent, like, almost two weeks of my life following the Jonas Brothers around. Those guys are also great dudes. But first, let's get into the conversation with George, and it starts with us talking... I guess about location and identity or something like that. A lot, a lot of people criticize me, a lot of my friends criticize me because of my, um, my, my poor memory, and, which, I, which I know is like, you know, like cognition is not my strong suit. It's, it's, it's horrible. And... Uh, I always say to them, I was just like, I just have lived so many lives. I can't, it's really hard to remember them all. It's like people, places, things in my life, like have, have turned over so many more times than almost most of the people I know. But like, con- and connected to changing your location. It's Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. And so, right. I, so I'm just like, that's what makes What made it, you come to LA? Well, I, I recorded the second record here. Was it the second record? Yeah, I recorded the second. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I recorded the second record here, and I got seduced. You know. Yeah. But it had it had more to do with the fact that, like, you know, like I had just gotten another motorcycle, and I was just like, man, like, I bought a motorcycle in New York, a, a new a new one, and I was like thinking about like, I had just purchased it, and it was it was somewhere I think it was in my old apartment, 
I was thinking about like going back to New York and having to like store it for the winter and how that was really all I wanted to do. And I bought, a, I bought an old vintage car too. And I was like, oh, I'm going to drive this back to New York. What am I going to do? So I just, I, I just, I was just like, no, I just want to do that. So like, that's all I want to do in my spare time. So why would I go back to New York? It just made it, it just made sense in the moment. And yeah. then the moment kind of just started feeding back, you know? Right. But yeah. this, you know, you were saying you've been here six years now, so it must still feel like the right place for you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not in terms of like, I hate flying and uh, my parents are, you know, they've been living back, they've been back in the Dominican Republic for the last seven years. Mm-hmm. So it makes it makes getting anywhere else really hard, and yeah. it kind of kind of forces you to kind of like stay here. And how many times a year do you try and get down there to visit? At least three, but I'd like I you know I'd love I'd love for that to be way more. I mean, I'm actually kind of considering or uh, doing uh, DR and LA as like your split, like half and half. Yeah. Yeah. And how much of your child did you did you spend there? You were born there and moved to Florida as a as a toddler. Oh yeah, I was I was young. I was, I was like two years old. Right. And before your parents retired there, were you did, were you able still to go back and visit family all the time? Yeah, I mean, we didn't go we didn't go often when we, when we were younger. Just I think just because my my parents were too poor yeah. to to send us or to to go. Yeah. Um. So we didn't go a lot, but um. I mean, we started to like once at once like my oldest sister turned eighteen, like she was going there, and and we started kind of going back. I mean, I went. I went. You know, when I was five, we went and. I can't even remember, but we, we, we would go, but not, not, it would be years between. Did it seem to you growing up at that point, still in Florida, like a culture clash going? Well, I, I, we first moved to Miami, so I don't think it was that. Right. It was, it wasn't like, uh, Miami end of the eighties, like pretty, pretty, a lot of Dominicans, a lot of Cubans. Right. Um, but I guess I just mean I, visually all of the sort of the vistas and just what life is like there. I mean, I'm curious if it took a while to feel like you're from there as opposed to it's just a place that you visit, like the places you forget as a kid. And then it's like, no, you're you're from here. Yeah, no, I, that didn't. I, honestly, that didn't come until like mid 20s when I went like it took it took me kind of going back there. And like I went with a girlfriend when I was 23 and uh i stayed with my aunt and uh that was a that was the first time where i was just like oh this is the place that i'm from you know like she took me to the hospital that i was born in and like the center of um santo domingo is kind of where all my family lived so you know just walking and seeing where my grandmother lived and and all all the stuff it just it's weird it's like uh, this kind of this kind of spirit spiritual feeling of mm-hmm. like oh this is where i am from and this is like this i connect with what what are your earliest memories of feeling musical or feeling like a musical urge or drawn to music in a in a way that that was profound i had a couple uh, a couple different experiences i mean one was just like watching you know coming up in obviously in the MTV and VH1 era like the real peak of that um 
so like when I saw like boys to men, that was like this idea of like having like like three friends and you all sing together, like really, like really, uh, really appealed to me. And then also uh, singing in the church choir where the di the director really kind of believed in me and was like really kind of the first person who was like, oh, you can sing. That was another major moment. And then we had a family friend who was a, he was kind of a 80s like pop singer who I don't I don't think had like too much of a successful career, but he was really passionate about music. And uh, just hearing him talk about like re recording in New Jersey and New York and in the 70s and stuff him he actually gave me a microphone you know i always people always ask me what my first instrument is and usually i'll say saxophone which i played in band but actually i remember this guy gave me a microphone and a delay pedal and a little amplifier and i used to just sit there and you know make sounds uh and, and stuff so he that was a he early on and he took me to a recording studio when i was when i was like maybe eight, eight years old um and like you know putting on headphones and singing into a microphone and hearing your voice through uh through a microphone and back into your ears again that was probably have had the most significant impact on me as, as far as like feeling like music was a, a, a you were intrigued yeah you felt intri immediately intrigued about it yeah did singing feel immediately like a kind of a cathartic thing or did you find did you connect with sort of the act of singing early on i think uh i had i had this friend ricky he's we're still best friends he was also he's kind of the only other black kid like kind of on my block you know and uh, we really connected and created this very kind of brother like bond that we still have and he and i used to we used to kind of ride our bikes over to the basketball court and play basketball. And we were, we were never good at kind of anything, you know, we, we weren't good at basketball. We weren't good at tennis, but we would just kind of go there because that's where like athletic kids went and like spent the day playing basketball. And we would just stay after and we would like, we just sing and neither of us could really knew what we were doing, but we would just sing. I remember, I remember us like, singing like the Fugees and like Boys to Men and like all these all this R and B stuff that we liked. And like I wasn't into kind of rock and roll yet, um, which I was about to become obsessed with. But like for me it was all like R and B kind of at that at that time. And um we would just sing out there and I, I don't know, it was more like I, I wouldn't say it's like like a cathartic thing. It was just more like we knew somehow internally that we, uh, I don't, I don't want to say that we were different, but that we just didn't like, we didn't like all the th other things that everyone else liked. Like my nerdier friends were into like magic, playing magic and stuff like that. And I never, I just couldn't get it, get down with it. Um, so Ricky and I like just knew that we didn't quite fit in with any of the hobbies that everyone else had and singing at night late at night on those basketball courts was like our favorite thing to do. And that's all that's, we would just sneak, we'd sneak out. We'd and just to go sing at this basketball court together, which is really sweet. So this is like 10 or yeah, I guess it's like 10. Yeah. I remember, one time I remember my dad, you know, my dad, like, like sending out the like search cars, you know, like 
three family members in cars like trying to find us and they'd always just find us in the same place on the basketball court and it's funny to you know they, you know at first they thought we were doing something bad and they realized like well, we were just like going there to sing or whatever. <laughs> and does ricky still sing he doesn't he doesn't he but he's like you know it's like it's funny he he never was uh, very musical, but his passion for music is insane. It's like uh, he has he has like three kids now, and it's wild to me. He knows all the all the music that his kids like. He loves all the music that his kids like. He's this type of person who, uh, where like music has no value value in time, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, whereas I, I I can get stuck inside of like. Oh, no one makes records like that anymore. All that, right. All that bullshit. He really just hears all music and it's he's like an encyclopedia of... Right. Um, it's not doesn't have the cynicism that you have if you're inside of it and you're it, like, that's not as good as that. Exactly. Or, yeah. But I could have told you, you know, he, he, he had that when we were young. Yeah. He was much more... Uh, you know, my my thing was like on like, oh, I, I need to develop taste and I need to develop... Uh, a sound and, a, and an aesthetic and his was just like uh, oh I just love everything and so wait when did that fun. enter the picture for you when did you uh, was it and did the rock phase sort of herald the sense of like I need to be snobbier with myself Def- definitely I, so what, who brought in the rock my my twin sister ironically because like now it's kind of like the other way around she she kind of ended up not like lo- loving rock music as as much as I did but I remember her, I think I was just like really stuck on boys to men and and whatever, which really, which even I kind of like, I can't go back to boys to men and listen to it. Until, <laughs> like, like there was much better R&B and I, and I was into all kinds of R&B and hip hop at the time. Tupac was a favorite and, and uh, Warren G and, but like. Uh, she kind of I remember at school one day she she was just like oh you gotta stop listening to that crap she, and she I think a friend had given her a tape uh, a Pearl Jam tape and a Nirvana like unplugged tape or something and she she was just like you should be listening to this you know and then I had a cousin also who was really into like punk and and, and stuff and um just like a lot of things happened at the same time. A girl, a girl, Clementine, I remember her name. Clementine gave me, uh, let me borrow her tape of Green Day's Dookie. And I was like, and all of a sudden, like overnight, like I got really excited about this other thing because it had this crazy energy. Right. And certainly um, starting to get, I mean, I didn't get into punk music until a bit later, you know, until around 16. Right. But like moving towards all like all the grunge stuff, moving towards getting into punk music definitely made me like become snobby. And you know, people who know me really well will will call me out and say, oh, well, you believed in this so hard this year and then the next year, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just always like, well, yeah, that's what that's what reinvention's all about. It's, you know, I I, I don't. I wouldn't take it back having this kind of turning, turning everything that I liked into my religion. Um, 
you know, like that, that was necessary for me to go as deep as I went with so many things. When did kind of the, the nerding out on the music you liked start to translate into like making, making music, making your own music or feeling like you wanted to have your own musical personality? It's weird. It's, it's funny because I honestly don't connect. I actually don't connect the two. Um, making music was more of this feeling of, uh, it was like built out of like a necessity to to do anything that would get me away from florida and anything that would anything that would get me out of where i was in in the moment um it's it's funny like i don't think of any obviously things inspired me and and influenced me in music but i think of my transition into music as more like a how am i going to meet people how am i going to how how am i going to get a girlfriend how mm-hmm. am i going to do this uh, you know i i actually i actually always say that probably the the moment where i was just like i have to play music was that i was just a nerdy kid and i was in the ba- i was in band and i was in band because i because if i didn't do band i would have had to do at the end of the, on the last period of the day, I would have had to do like a science class or something. And band sounded easy. Right. And so like, I was in the band and I, and I played saxophone and I was into it. But I remember this kid who played trumpet, he would sit down after band, which was the last period. So school would let out. And then he would just hang out in the band room and he'd play guitar and all these girls would come and listen to him play. And, and like, you know, and all the guys wanted to be him. And he was like a good looking kid. And, you know, I would kind of just like stay after and watch him. And he'd play, I don't know what it was at the time. Maybe some early Radiohead or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't remember. Fake plastic trees. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Or something. And uh, he would play guitar. And I thought that was so cool too, like, Oh, he he plays trumpet, but he plays guitar, and nobody cares about him playing trumpet. Everyone cares about him playing guitar and singing. And it was just see, seeing the attention that he got and the kind of validation that he got has more to do with mm. me getting into music than some inspiration, right. which sounds maybe like uh, oh, listen, not know, that there's anything sounds, wrong with that. Sounds, it's valid, but yeah, it just it just it just had more to do with like oh, like doing this thing that really affects people um it like opens all these doors uh so it had more to do with that than uh than trying to be like my heroes in in any way did you start to learn guitar at that point or? yeah yeah i immediately was like I, my, I knew my dad had a guitar in in his closet at home that he was very kind of like didn't want me to touch because you know like he would, didn't want it to get scratched and whatever else <laughs> but I kind of, I I would kind of either sneak into the closet when he wasn't home and and play it. I think it had like two strings on it, and you know, I'd just sit there and and play forever until finally he kind of, I think he saw that I had an interest in it and would like let me keep it in my room. And right. um, I can't really remember. At some point, he took me to a music shop and got it got it strung up, and I just started. 
Because he obviously wasn't using it. He just sort of hoped to use it. He would, he would like, pull it out, you know, like, yeah. uh, on very special occasions and, like, play the, like, two things that he knew. What were the, what song, what kind of song would he have I, I don't even know if he, <laughs> I don't know that he actually played any song. I think he kind of had lear- learned this kind of flamenco pattern, uh, uh, picking pattern that, that he would do. And he would just play a few chords. And then I think maybe he'd play, like, some Pete Seeger some some folky stuff because he was really into that um and that would be cool to see and he definitely taught me like my first three chords and so did you did you start trying to write songs early on or was it mostly just sort of learning to play the songs that you liked initially um when when did you start writing songs that came much later i spent most of my time pretending like i had songs Uh, first first i would like learn a lot of like sublime songs or whatever <laughs> whatever was like whatever popular music of the day yeah whatever would get the party going you know? <laughs> although although the first one of the first songs i learned was uh wait till the water runs dry written by babyface performed by boys to men but i would uh i would just pretend to uh yeah i would just pretend to to have written songs so people would ask me and i'd say oh yeah i, I wrote this song last night you know and i would Im- I, I would improvise songs, which I was really good at. So it was actually really convincing. <laughs> but I hadn't written anything, you know. So if they asked me to play it twice, I'd be, I would always kind of like dodge that. So what? So yeah. So what did spawn? What? When did you finally actually write song? Feel the urge to write songs? So I uh, I dropped out of high school and I was kind of just hanging out with like a few real key people in my life. One, one friend who kind of was like. Uh, he was just kind of like uh, I don't know how to define him. One friend, he was he was a drug dealer and just a very like uh, opportunistic kind of guy who just taught me a lot about like life outside of the you know the same bullshit system that I was right. in every day. You know, like he broke open this world for me. Um, and um, at the same time, I was uh, I was hanging around this bar called the Blue Parrot. And they used to have like jam sessions, and I would try to get in whenever I could. And I was ho- I was terrible, so it, it, it kind of it was always like the thing of like them being like rolling their eyes when I'd want to get on stage and play guitar because I just didn't know what I was doing. But there was one guy who was a bit older than me who was there. Who I don't know what I don't really know what he saw in me or what why we connected. But he was the he was we were both the young guys there. But he I would see him play, and he would sing amazing songs, and he would like cover like some Morrissey songs. Uh, I I just was so impressed with his guitar playing and with his songwriting, and he read a lot, and uh, I kind of kind of forced him to kind of take me under his wing in a way. And we would sit, he had a little tiny shack, which was the, which was like a, literally just a shed converted into a room in his parents' backyard. And he would almost kind of force me to practice guitar, not even write songs so much, just like force me to practice. Like he would teach me picking patterns and, uh, and he had this incredible, incredible strum that was super strong and like 
I, I just really admired it. And then he, uh, he was a bit of a playboy and he would like have girls over at his place and they'd be upstairs doing whatever they were doing. And I'd just be downstairs just like working really hard to, um, figure out whatever he taught me. Right. And, uh, he's the one who really started pushing me like he kind of noticed he kind of clocked that like i'd play a song and he'd be like the lyrics keep changing you know like did you have you written it down you know and he really was like he had these big yellow pads and he was just like write, write your songs down right. you know, remember you them. were what like 16 or something yeah so i was 16 um yeah i was 16 i think he was 21 and uh he and i started writing songs together and really that's like how I started writing songs with his kind of support um and we wrote these really awful like proggy acoustic songs that would last like seven eight minutes long they were terrible uh but they were really ambitious which was cool right and and that's really really how I started writing songs and then and then breaking away f from him and writing songs at home i started really finding my voice in songwriting i guess and so that it, it kind of it's it, it was just ignited at that point where you're you're like i kind of take this seriously now like yeah i mean i remember like well writing songs with him it was just like so it was so wild this idea of i, I can't really explain you know i think songwriters know know this but it's hard to explain to someone who doesn't write songs the feeling that you get when you've made something that can be repeated almost exactly the way that it was first conceived, you know, like, but that it changes, it changes a little bit every time. But the, like this, this idea that something out of thin air becomes and then can be repeated is like so insane, especially at that at that age and it's like just yeah that thing is very addict addictive you know that feeling that you get from that i still get it you know like um when i write songs now it's like it just feels crazy it feels like a weird miracle you know and do you have to whether nowadays or in general when you're looking to tap into or hoping to have that kind of a moment of inspiration I mean, do you have to put yourself in certain circumstances? Do you have to, you know, if you feel like in the mood, you know, do you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, do you have to like, is there a certain uh -huh. kind, kind of place physically you have to go to be like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to work. I'm going to try and get a song out now. Like, I, I'm very, uh, um, I'm a very like kind of sit around and wait for a spark type person. And I'm not, I'm not incredibly consistent with my methods. Um, I, I could probably benefit from it, but I prefer to not try to f have a consistency to the place I go to when I write a song or the whatever. Mm. Um, it's it's all very like sacred to me, and so I try not to ruin it with systems. Mm -hmm. I want it to be routine. Yeah. Although I'm like very much a kind of work ethic, I'm very like blue collar about making music in a lot of ways, which is why I think I ended up kind of producing myself and doing a lot of like the heavy lifting of 
the music I, ma I make and not just like writing melodies and, and lyrics. Mm -hmm. I try to do everything because it, the other stuff allows me to kind of do that grunt work um, and, and right. have a real system for that. But the core of a song is is words and melody. You know, I don't even think chord progressions are um, as near, nearly as important. You know, this idea of melody and intention. And those two things, I try to like, I try to leave them be. I try to, I try to have faith that they exist inside of me and that I am a conductor uh, for these, uh, these energies. Mm. But I try to not, I try to not like prepare myself. Right. So you're, you, so when you're between albums or between, you know, song cycles or groups of songs, you're sitting here watching Russian Doll or whatever. I mean, <laughs> is it just sometimes, sometimes you'll be sitting here and a song will, you'll feel like the feeling of like, oh, shit, I think so. You know what I mean? Like maybe, I mean, it's, uh, I, I wouldn't say it's like that. You know, I think, I think, I also think that that's kind of a, uh, I don't actually know anyone who's like, that. Um, I, I, I do honestly think that this, this might sound crazy or, or funny, but I actually, so I was thinking about getting rid of this, uh, I have this screen on the wall here okay. uh, and I, I had a projector there that was projecting on it and uh, I had a friend who came over and helped me rearrange my house and get my feng shui right. And... Uh, <laughs> We were talking. She was like, "Do you want to get rid of that?" Because it was it was rolled up, and I was just like, "I was like, it was it was up." And I was just like, "What if I put it down?" I was just like, "What if I put it down?" And she's like, "You're not going to project anything on it." And I, I was just like, "No, there's something really comforting about like the white, this white thing on the on the wall. Like I don't know, I just like it." And as I was saying, I was just like, "It reminds me of how there's a frame there." And it's blank and there should be something on it. That's what it, there's something to put there. So the point I'm making is that I have to sit in front of the frame. I have to sit in front of my lap, laptop and stare at my DAW, my, my Ableton, Pro Tools, whatever, uh, whatever computer system you're working on to make music. I have to sit there and stare at it in order to feel inspired to write a song i have to at least get to that place right. i don't just like i'm just not riding around in my truck and i'm like yeah <laughs> i got a vibe going right now you know like like i think that's kind of bullshit i mean certainly i'll have a melody in my head and i'll do i'll pull out my phone and make a voice memo but there's i have about i have about a thousand voice memos from this year alone i probably won't listen to a single one of them to, right. to make a song it has to be there has to be this kind of sitting in front of the the frame like that has that has to happen i think i think i think most people are like that maybe maybe not i don't know and how would you say sort of your your um ideas about how you want to make music or how you want to have music be your livelihood or or your day-to-day -day existence how has that changed you know in the years that you've been doing it i mean i know that you have kind of expanded this obviously the sonic scope of what you're doing and you've done some less strictly here's an album type of projects mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean i guess i wonder from the time that you became attached to the idea of like i'm a guy who plays guitar and that draws people in and it feels good to write songs 
I'm an artist now, like till where, till where we sit here in 2019. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, what what have you kind of discovered about what you really want to be doing with music in 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 the big picture? Well, I mean, it's funny because like, I mean, more than ever, I feel like my original intention hasn't changed. Um, I want music to open doors for me, and I want. Um, but now, more than more than then, I want music to to continue to my music to continue to be the thing that gets helps people get through this fucking life that we live. I think as you get older, it's natural to to have an understanding that no matter how privileged or not privileged or whatever you are. All human existence is is very hard to get through. It's it's hard to stomach, whether you're in denial about it or or whether you fully realize it and it torments you every moment of the day. It's really hard, and music is it's proven and uh, I see it every day and I see it in the messages that my fans send me. Uh, music is just the thing that helps distract you from it and maybe those distractions are 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 just distractions or maybe there's spiritual energy maybe it's god shit you know maybe it's uh maybe it's uh actually what it's all about is experiencing these kind of highs um from creativity and from from art and or maybe it's just the glue that help helps you kind of stay grounded or what whatever it is no, no matter what, it's it's important. And I feel like more than ever, I do it because I know in real time that it's helping people in a moment. You know, I have no I have no kind of uh, thoughts of of music being like changing the world, nor do I think it changes people. It just helps them deal. And uh that is a very simple and uh, beautiful thing, I think. It's, it's good enough for me. And, you know, at this point, as far as Twin Shadow is concerned, is there a not-too-distant future where you're doing music under a different name or under just your name? Mm -hmm. Or do you regard the Twin Shadow moniker as being kind of just, no, it's, that's what your music will exist under for the foreseeable future? I mean, it's uh, at this point. I feel like it's my name. You know? right. It's like who I've become, who I've become, or who I am. Uh, if I if I if I change the name of it, it would uh, it would only be for some sort of like artistic reason. Right. So you um, don't feel like you feel like the the name is whatever you want to sound like, and that's yeah. I've yeah. always felt that way. Is the the funny thing, you know, like. Uh, I've always jumped around so much genre-wise, and uh, that has to do with the idea that I just always thought doing music was really about freedom, and um, it certainly isn't uh, a great, always a great business model or whatever. But it's it's my choice to kind of constantly explore new sound and. To me, like Twin Shadow was always going to be about that kind of uh, exploration, I guess. And obviously, you just you recently put had a new song, "The Only for the Broken Hearted," came mm -hmm. out. 
Is there is that part of a crop of new? Is there more new stuff percolating? Yeah. yeah. So uh, I am kind of exploring right now, like very much so, exploring music that is inspired by Dominican music, mm-hmm. but also that still has a very kind of like classic songwriting thing to it. I don't know how to how to define that. And that is kind of what I've kind of committed myself to doing that this year. And this group of songs that I'm putting out uh, will eventually become a bigger thing and are going to trigger like a, a more kind of full length. Yeah. And and so it are, to, to be working on songs that push further into that vibe, have you have you had to make yourself more familiar with that with those sounds and that style of music than you were before? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because growing up, it's like it was always on in the background. So it's a, it feels kind of like just more like a returning to home type of thing. Learning the rhythms is like like actually physically like getting down and trying to play like a the swung guitar of that's very typical in bachata music. You know, that's a challenge and something that I have to like practice now and like get into. But um there's also just like a wealth of music coming out of the Dominican Republic right now that is also like different from some of the stuff that I've been exploring. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff I've been exploring is like stuff from the 90s. And uh, I'm interested in all of it. You know, I'm interested in the energy of uh, the music from my country. And it's just, it, what, what it's more like a, a way of kind of like, exploring something that feels authentic to me mm-hmm. but but is something that I've been away from for a long time so it very much feels like this kind of returning back to the beginning maybe of of really my musical influence or um so it's 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 an adventure I don't I don't I have no idea what's what what it's going to yield you know I think also like you mature and you start to realize that there is kind of a there's a uh, there's a big reward for not jumping around all the time like um there is you know i i just finished saying like i want to i want this freedom but um having some walls i think are is, is important for digging deeper it's that thing of like making something your religion again. right right yeah. and using something as a tool rather than a limitation yeah but also I think it's important to remember that that anything you make is going to have the mark of you on it. It's going to be something only you could have made. And so it is all necessarily inherently related, you know, and it is, it's, you know, it's easy to get overthinking about it and be like, well, what is this thing? Or what I think artists get, you know, caught up in thinking what their audience wants to hear from them. Yeah. And that's a good instructive voice to have when you're like what do we do best <laughs> right right. you know maybe yeah, yeah. we should do some of yeah, that but yeah but also remembering that like literally anything you make is yours and only yeah. you could have made it and yeah so it's part of the same catalog yeah it's it, that's a power it's a powerful that's a powerful realization that i do think a lot of a lot of artists need to have of this idea of everything i do is is me you know i i um uh i I, on Instagram, I, I, I posted about this song I have to the top and I, and I, I said, who the fuck let me make this piece of shit? <laughs> and, 
And uh, what I got back was not what I expected. I expected a bunch of haters to be like, yeah, you really fell off there. And instead, I had a bunch of people who were like, this song is, that means everything to me, man. Yeah. You know, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, fuck, you know, like. Sorry. I was like, and then I, I took it down and I was just like, yeah, you know, it's like, even I can't, as much as I want to dash certain moments in my career and, and you know, be publicly kind of like, yeah, I know I fucked up. There's there's a huge group of people who things resonate with. And the truth is they resonate with it because you, at some point I made this decision to do that thing and I did it with energy. And I did it with a, a real enough energy where it resonated with some people. And um, I can't wipe that away. You know, like, yeah, I have like another, I have this other song, Half Life, that's like, it's weird. It's like, it was never a single we never pushed it it was just buried buried at the end of the third record and it's weird it's like this it's streaming better than like most of my songs and we're all just like how is that you know it's kind of this weird phenomenon it's yeah. like it just kind of you don't know how it it, ca it catches on but it catches on i can listen to the song and be like yeah okay i i kind of see that how this is strangely was the most poppy song and probably should have been the single right but we didn't push it we didn't do anything it just it just sat there and grew and it's interesting how how it's interesting in a world full of algorithms in a world that's kind of like you know where you pay to like serve up your thing and and you hope that it catches on so that so that your kind of false algorithm becomes a real algorithm or whatever. Yeah. It's strange to see things kind of work out of nowhere. But again, that's like, that's the magic of music and the, and the magic of, of creative things. It's sometimes, sometimes they just have a lot of power, you know, and they do what they're supposed to do, which is cool. I think that's a good place to wrap up. Cool. Thanks so much, George. Yeah, thank you. Good to see you. The Jonas Brothers are back, baby, in case you hadn't heard, and so I felt inspired to dig into my own collection of interviews with Kevin and Joe and Nick, because I have a lot of audio from conversations with those guys back in spring and summer of 2009, when I was on the road with them quite a bit for a couple of different assignments for Rolling Stone, and also spent some time hanging out with them at home in Dallas, interviewing the guys together and individually, and chatting with family members as well. What you'll hear is an interview, well, an excerpt, really, from an interview I did with Nick, one-on-one -on -one in his car as we drove in Dallas from my hotel to the venue, which in this case was the then-brand-new Dallas Cowboys Arena, where the guys were playing that night. And uh, he arrived with some vinyl albums he had brought from his own collection to give to me, including albums by Chicago and Elvis Costello and Neil Diamond. And yeah, I just have to say I was so impressed by those guys back then, especially Nick, who revealed himself to be kind of a creative genius in a couple of different situations where he really took the reins. And I've loved watching how they've grown in their lives and careers since then and have really enjoyed their triumphant return. So yay, Joe Bros are back. Let's listen um, to this 
admittedly bad recording, but I hope you'll enjoy it anyway. Hopefully you'll think it has some charm to it. It's got a lot of car sounds, that's for sure. Nick Jonas right now on LSQ. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Can I see these records back here? Yeah, go ahead. Just a couple things I grabbed real quick. I tried to stay away from greatest hits, but there's one there. Neil Diamond. Talking so much about it. So who was the first? Who had for the first time ever in life? Did you have a, a serious season with musically where you just got really, really into them? Uh, Stevie. Um, we a long time ago. I recorded a song with Rick Wake. Um, and it was like the first time I'd ever worked in a studio. He was, uh, he made a comment to my dad. He was like, you know, kind of sounds like a little Stevie Wonder. And I was like, not, it was a little, little far off in my opinion. I don't know that I, because he's kind of, you know, Stevie Wonder at the end of the day. Yeah. But, um, I, I, I went, went out his greatest hits because I, you know, was 11. I didn't really yeah. know much about him. But then he fell in love with it and just kind of, Acquired as much of Stevie Wonder as I could, and then that was that was the first time. And then later on, it was the next one would have been Johnny Cash. A couple of years later, it's probably thirteen. Getting into his storytelling. Right. I, your grandfather told me this story yesterday about you when you were three, standing on the table with a turkey baster as a microphone, and uh, saying that you were going to be on Broadway someday. What? What put that idea in your head? Obviously, it's hard to remember what you were thinking when you were three or four, but... It is a bit hard, but I think from the time I can remember, I was into the idea of performing. And, um, you know, Broadway, I guess, just seemed like the ideal place for that. And I don't know what it was that intrigued me about the performance side of things. But I think it was just kind of music. Yeah. That whole thing. And you guys would go see Broadway shows when you were when you were little anyway, right? I'd actually never seen a Broadway show until I was in one. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I did a lot of like you know, a lot of productions at that school. I saw those as well, but um, basically never seen one before. My parents saw Les Mis when I was six, and. Uh, and they came back and were like, you could, you could do this. You could be in this show. And I was like, oh, cool. So I, I, I tried out a couple of years later for it. It's the first audition I ever had. Um, I, was, I think it was actually seven. I tried out um, for the national tour. But my mom was pregnant with Frankie. So we couldn't go. Right. It was a bummer. At what point did it transition in your mind from that being the thing that seemed like the most natural outlet for your love of music to th- to to writing music and playing it with a band as the as the thing that would make you happy as a musician? I think there's this thing, this unsaid, unspoken rule in 
Broadway, I'm on kids where it's like, you have to be small to be able to be on Broadway for a long time. And if there's usually like a competition between the kids, like who's the smallest, because you can get more roles if you're small. And uh, I mean, you literally walk in the room and be like, how tall are you? You know, it's one of those things. 48 inches was like the cap. <laughs> and once I got to about 47, I was in Beauty and the Beast. And it was like, all right. It's um, about to be all over. It's like, it's almost over. But the, the idea was that it's like, okay, maybe, maybe like just, maybe I should start thinking about like what's next for me. And started writing a lot of songs. And um, I was, it was my third show I was doing. I did Play Maze after that. I then started recording a lot with uh, this guy, PJ Bianco, who um, has been a family friend for a long time, a friend of mine for a while. We've written a couple songs together. Uh, he's a co-writer of Me in the Eyes, um, a bunch of the Amish Society stuff as well. Great guy. But I um, started working with him on just recording stuff back in New Jersey in like, his mom's basement. <laughs> and uh, you know, that does kind of how the whole recording thing got started. And then the story picks up where I wrote a song with the guys and we became the band. When did you start to have confidence in your ability to write a song that you would want to perform? It took a while because I was actually for a very long time kind of frustrated with the formula of, of a, like a songwriting formula mm -hmm. because I was I was a younger and and um, all the people that I wrote with were really cool they're all great but sometimes there'd be a select few that would say okay cool if you have an idea let me know but I'm gonna do this and see what happens. And it was like, oh, man, I have some ideas. So it was like, until I could really write with people like my brothers who were all, you know, unaware still of, of you know, our ability to write a song, it was, it was better. Right, but I mean, when you first started even writing with your brothers, did you feel like, oh, this, I don't know if this song is good, you know, or were you always just sort of confident that, like, I like this, I think it's good? Um, yeah, there was, there was a period where I was unsure of the song was good or not. You know, there's still today where I'm, 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 I'm sure, you know, not sure if the song's good. Um, but I think we were, we were at that time writing so much that it was like, if that one wasn't good enough, just work with this next one, hopefully it was better. And that was, that was basically how we did it. But I mean, do you, like, when you're just on tour, when you have free time, or just, you know, during sound check or whatever, do you, the song ideas just come to you, or do you have to sit and focus and think, like, I'm going to write a song right now? Um, no, you know, I, I don't really have to sit and focus. It helps whenever it's a song that's really personal to you. Um, when, it's a, when it's a song that kind of is more just fun, like, burning up, we, we wrote the chorus in the back of the tour bus, just kind of hanging out, watching TV or something. Went into the venue and, and basically showed the band real quick. Just like, hey, check this out, see if you like it. We jammed on it for a minute and it got us inspired to write the verses. Right. So they're all different when it's like a very personal, like emotional type song. It's good to like sit down and, and figure it out. But if it's a fun, you know, song about life, you know, whatever, it's, it's, it's easier to just, to just jam on it. There's a song on the record, um, this new one called Black Keys. Oh yeah, I like that one. Thank you. Yeah, I wrote it, and it's 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 like when I wrote that one, I was at the piano, and it's like you were saying about sitting down and really focusing on the song. And that's how the whole concept came out. It's like the Black Keys. It's the first song I'd ever written on the Black Keys. Yeah. And uh, 
just thought it was an interesting concept once it started to come together that, you know, instead of messing it up with color, maybe it's better black and white. Right. But it's, you know, it's, it's really funny when I love hearing people's opinions of, of um, what they think the song's about, too, though. I think I, someone told me one time about Dylan was like, at a certain point, I really thought my lyrics were so deep, I was just writing, you know, whatever, and then I had to, you know, let them figure it out. I thought that was, that was really, that was really cool. Maybe I'll just do that and let people try to figure out what the lyrics are about. Well, that's it for episode 24 of LSQ. Thanks again for listening, and massive thanks yet again to Twin Shadows George Lewis Jr. for taking the time to talk with me. And don't forget, a new Twin Shadow album will arrive in August. And thanks as well, in retrospect, to Nick Jonas. I hope I get to interview him again someday. The next episode of LSQ, episode 25, coming out in a few weeks, features a conversation with Church's Lauren Mayberry, and I've also got interviews coming up with Dan Reynolds of Imagine Dragons and Perfume Genius's Mike Hadrius, among others. Subscribe if you haven't done so already. You can always reach me with questions and feedback on Twitter, at Jenny LSQ. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.